people reach out to me like, Dale, how do I get started ranching? How do I get started rodeoing? One mm-hmm. of those two things. That's where How to Be a Cowboy, the Netflix show, yeah. that, it, that's where it came from. People want, I got that DM, still get it 20 times a day. How do I get started ranching? Your motivation to do this could lead to employing several people. Yeah. I've got a dozen people that work in this warehouse. It was like Billy Graham mixed with Woodrow F. Call. The comedy side of my DNA came from my mom. My dad had some jokes occasionally, but like he was a serious man and he was a God-fearing man. Faith and loyalty are the two attributes I would attach to his legacy. Welcome back to the the Wealthy Cowboys Show. I'm Crockett Carruthers. We're here. Uh, got a real special treat for you this time. We're not in the normal studio. Uh, we're shooting on the road in this this other cool studio here, and we're in uh, Winnebago, Texas. So. That probably gives you a hint to who you, who we have on. Old son, the greatest cowboy to ever live, super puncher, Dale Brisby. Well, Dale, yeah. <laughs> For those of you that don't know me, don't worry. Your mom does. <laughs> Dale, um, I heard you tell a story about, I think you said it was maybe your first time to Vegas and you're kind of just breaking out into the apparel deal and all that. And... There was a conversation between Trevor, Trevor Brazil and Cody Johnson, and Trevor said that you would do more for our industry than anybody else would, or either one of them would. And I think that's very true. Um, you can talk to a day working cowboy on a, on a ranch somewhere that hadn't been to town very much, and you can also go to town and talk to Joe Rogan or Glenn Beck and or a millionaire from New York. So I think you're a great ambassador. Um, you're very well read. When did that start? Like at some point you're a kid growing up in West Texas to a rodeo cowboy, to a, a ranch cowboy. Where did the thirst for knowledge and, and reading all these different books and kind of where did all that come from? Like was there was there a time in your life that, that it just switched or – well, first off, I, I got to address, you know, like what Trevor said. Um, the thing about him saying that, you know, I showed up to that NFR in mud boots and uh, a vest and no T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And I had very few videos. And Trevor, if you talk to him, is an extremely intelligent individual. He's very witty. Uh, he's he's He could do anything he chose to be a cowboy and um his work ethic and uh led him to what he is now Mm -hmm. and so him number one it was flattering and i guess validation that he uh saw everything what up big don that he saw what i was doing early on you know, because there's a lot of gray hairs out there that don't understand the internet mm-hmm. and they see me and they're like, what's this guy's deal? Mm-hmm. You know, and seven years later, they're like, okay, I kind of get it. But day one, not only Trevor, but Cody Johnson, they understood, okay, this guy's a comedian and this is funny and this is, and here's what he's doing. Yeah. And as he goes down this path, this is what's going to happen for the industry. You reach a whole new demographic of people and i think that i don't think that i'm gonna have a bigger impact than those two so um but the fact that he said that number one validated the path i was on 
And it was, it just kind of like, it was encouraging to me mm-hmm. to, to get that sort of confirmation from two goats in the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, it started, I, I've always been the class clown. Um, and I was, I was never afraid to uh, be different. You know, I stood out. And I was okay with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, that was in my family, in the circles of my family. And then that carried over to the circles of school, you know. And, and um, I, I guess I'm just kind of trying to go down the path of what put me where I'm at. And the mindset of being okay with being different. Mm-hmm. I mean, showing up to the NFR and walking around Cowboy Christmas with no shirt on <laughs> is and, and you probably got a lot of looks, a lot of looks, and you got to be okay with getting looks, mm-hmm. no matter who you are or what you're doing. You have to be okay with that because in the beginning, nobody thinks it will work. Mm-hmm. Nobody, you know, like there were not like the the way Trevor saw that it would work. Nobody else agreed with him. Yeah, he would have maybe been chastised had he said that like in public. <laughs> I don't know. But um, the other thing that started to happen was I had the approval of the mob. So like the gray hairs in the industry that were not interested in doing a deal with me or having me around that didn't understand it. Eventually, the seven years later that they did come around to it, well, they had to, they realized that the mob, like in Gladiator, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. When he tells uh, Marcus Aurelius, he's like, you got to, uh, win over the mob. That's how you win your freedom. And that's exactly what it is. And um, those gray hairs, they're like, I don't understand it, but I guess, you know, and because the the audience, the, the market has spoken. Mm-hmm. And I can't be arrogant about that either because, um, you know, it could go the other way if I'm not careful. Yeah. And, um, but anyhow, whatever, I'm kind of bouncing around. The point is... <clears throat> Early on, I was willing to be a class clown, and um, I was willing to be different. I also had, like, entrepreneurial tendencies. You know, like, I, I, I remember going to a field trip when I was in, like, third grade, and I had uh, not a ton of money to, you know, for lunch on this field trip. And, um, but I had a bunch of yo-yos. Yo-yos were big back then. Mm-hmm. Not to date myself, but <laughs> they, they were. And I... uh I took a bunch of yo-yos, some string, oil for the bearings. Anyhow, I came back from the field trip with like 32 or $36 or something kind of silly for a second grader to have, Yeah, you know? Um, but I was a salesman, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the thrill of it. It's mm-hmm. kind of like chasing a girl, talking to a girl, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, or getting on a bucking horse. You yeah. know, there's just this anticipation of like, how's this going to go? I've got to perform. I, f- I feel that also like getting into sales. I never would have thought I w- would have got into a sales role in, in the mainstream business world, but there is, there's that dopamine hit, you know, you get it from, from closing a sale, from, mm-hmm. from doing a deal, mm-hmm. uh, the same as you'd get from, I come from the time event side from roping a calf and tying one fast. Or, and you're done and you're walking back. You're y- like, yeah. Or roping a cow out in the brush and, and getting a wild one caught or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, there's still that rush there. It's a little bit different, but it's still, it's still there. It's something I never would have, would have thought about, but yeah. So mix that with 
my thrill of the, you know, the comedic chase of making people laugh. So there's a sales side of like closing a sale. There's making a room. You know, my mom was my first fan and making her laugh was just like the best feeling, you know? And so mix those two things, you know, fast forward. Now there's the internet and YouTube and we start putting out videos and I realized that the comedic side of things, if I lean into that with these videos, it could be the branding for the sales. Mm -hmm. And essentially that's what came to fruition. Also, my dad put me in FFA, um, uh, which is, you know, for those of you that don't know, Future Farmers of America is what it used to stand for. Now it's, you know, they dropped the, the, the words from that and it's a uh, just national FFA organization, but essentially it's, it's the largest student led organization in the country, meaning like kids run it mm-hmm. and high school kids. It's run through the, the ag science classes that are offered in high school. So it's, it's, uh, it's the counterpart to 4-H, um, 4-H and FFA are very similar, but essentially in FFA, you're able to, um, there's you, a lot of people think of stock shows, well, there's another, that's like a, a CDE, like a career development event. Well, there's mm-hmm. LDEs, which are leadership development events. Being the ag teacher's son, you the, do the LDEs were like extemporaneous speaking, for instance. You got a jar full of topics on little pieces of paper. You pull out three, mm-hmm. and then you get to choose one. They give you 20 minutes to prepare a speech. You go before three judges, and you give a five-minute speech on this topic. That was my favorite. And so you were, were you naturally good at that? I don't know how good I was. Like in my head, I enjoyed it. It didn't bother it. you though. My, I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like looking back, if you'd have heard some of those speeches, they probably sucked. Yeah. But I did it and I delivered it and I finished the speech, you know, like I didn't go to state in it, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed it. And, and so leaning into that and then I was a state officer, which the, the point that is relevant only because we did speaking events in front of thousands of people. And so that helped got you used to it. alleviate some uh, fears. And mm-hmm. so like getting on camera by the time we were making YouTube videos was nothing. Mm-hmm. So the FFA, my sales background, being class clown, all those things came together. And, um, and most people's number one fear is public speaking. Right. Um, I, I heard Jerry Seinfeld tell this <clears throat> joke, um, that, public speaking was over death so people yeah. would rather be in the casket than the person giving the eulogy at the funeral right and i so and i'm not saying i'm just completely there's some like i've thought about for instance a stand-up comedy mm-hmm. and that does scare me you know yeah. because that's that's a different that's a different kind of public speaking mm-hmm. you know like if i had to stand up and talk about my cows or horses in front of ten thousand people like whatever that's easy you know, but if I'm tasked with stand-up comedy, making them laugh, because in a Snapchat, I don't know, maybe it is the same. I might, but you don't get day. that instant feedback if you're on video. You know, you're doing the same thing, trying to make people laugh and entertain mm-hmm. people or provide value, whatever you're doing. But when you're on stage, especially a comic, you tell that joke and have that punchline, and if they don't laugh, it's like, uh, what do I do now? Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a shorter feedback loop than exactly in this social media. Exactly. When you so when you started, would you say it was four or five years before you ever did it started selling apparel from from your you're doing YouTube's? Uh, that's a so I mean I was like doing prank calls, doing a bunch of stuff 
like not really making videos, but had a social media presence mm -hmm. from 2010 to t 2013. Made the first video July 1st, 2013. It's still up. Dale Brisby, Bull Rider 1. And so that was 10.5 years ago. So 10 years and seven months or something like that. And um, sometime late in 13 or 14 is when we started selling a little bit of apparel. Um, because in that first video, I was wearing this rodeo time cap. Mm -hmm. And uh, I bought that first cap with the, the trucker cap kind of with the print. Yes. I think that was the only thing, one of the only things available. I think yep. the only cap available. Yeah, so I had one cap and I had three shirts. Mm -hmm. Olson, Riding Bulls, Punch Fools, and the Rodeo Time Trademark. Um, so anyhow, the Rodeo Time Trademark is a whole nother story. It's a good story. It's cool, but it's just, it's kind of a long-winded thing. But long story short, it's my trademark and has been for um, over 10 years. But we, um, then I realized the formula, which was, these videos were essentially branding for the apparel. Mm -hmm. And um, and so it was just lean into it, reap what you sow, you know, make more videos, sell more apparel. And eventually we started monetizing the, the YouTube channel, but for mm -hmm. the longest I didn't even know how to set it up. We were just yeah. making videos with copyrighted music. And um, I wanna say it was like 2016 before I really even monetized YouTube. So I made YouTube videos for three years um, and just sold a little bit of apparel. The apparel was the only thing. When you started doing those videos, was it, were you thinking about money? No, you, not at all. Mm -hmm. Not at all. So like the reason we even had a little bit of apparel was because that, sh that, that hat I was wearing, mm -hmm. people were, um, we made so many videos before we ever sold apparel. And the reason we made it is people would go say, like have it made just at a, a one-off. Yeah. They would take it. They liked our videos and that it. was the cap I was wearing. And so like they would go to a mom and pop embroidery deal and it would just say rodeo time. They would try to remake it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, there was yeah, a demand, there was a demand for it before there was a product. Mm -hmm. And the, the guy had, this guy had made a rodeo time cap like in the eighties and you can still find them. There's a few of them out there. And it was before I was even born. And I found out who it was. He was still alive, but he ran into some supply chain issues on the way he wanted to make the caps. And so I reached out to him and bought the copyrights from him. We, it was all legal. He told me a price. I paid it. And, it's probably um, very small to what? Well, for him, it was, yeah. he wasn't doing it. He hadn't done anything with it in decades. It was mm -hmm. just this thing. Like I found the cap in a flea market. Like he didn't even, like he was like, yeah, I made like some of the, you know, so for him, like, it was like, yeah, sure, whatever, you know, like he wasn't going to do anything with it. And so we made it official, uh, signed the paperwork and uh, trademarked it. And uh, anyhow, and so we had a few caps, but like there were so many videos that we'd already been doing just because it was fun. Mm -hmm. Like I enjoyed making people laugh. There was no sort of, of you know, desert island I was going to one day buy, you know, down at the end of the... And there still isn't, but yeah. I was essentially just doing what I enjoyed. I was a comedian and now I had this new avenue and I could make something funny and send it to someone. I didn't have to be standing in front of them. Yeah. And it was that simple. And um, yeah, so one thing led to another. And then by the time, 
I mean, it was 2015. 2015 came around. It wasn't until 2016 that Rodeo Time started. I went full-time in 2016. So over 2013 to 2016, we kind of, I mean, like, I didn't take a dime out of rodeo time. Everything was reinvesting, reinvesting. And, and I didn't have any, like I was rodeoing and rodeo was an income. I was day working mm-hmm. and then rodeo time was just paying for rodeo time and I was building it. And then in 2016, I decided to, I was working for my brother-in-law. He married my sister here in, uh, young County. And, uh, I was doctoring yearlings and day working and he sold them all. And then he was about to buy them back. And I was like, I think I'm ready to do this full time. And so mm-hmm. from that point forward, I was just rodeo time and rodeoing. Mm-hmm. And those were my two streams of income. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that was coming on eight years ago. And that was, that was cool for me. I saw some of those early videos, uh, like you're saying with mud boots and vest with no shirt and that rodeo time hat. And not like y'all were chasing pigs or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And um, and kind of kept up with it a little bit. I I don't watch a lot of YouTube, but I kept up with it a little bit, saw some of it. And I was like, man, this is pretty cool. And I liked your style, like the, that hat. So I got that. And then I was like, this guy's pretty cool. And, you know, you, you hear things. People are going to hate on you or whatever. Oh, yeah. And then it's it's our world is so small that there was, there was mutual friends of ours like – and it was, I would see pictures of y'all day working and, and you rodeoing and stuff. And I was like, not only is this guy funny, but he's real. He's a real deal cowboy. He's well, not. that would throw people off. Cause <laughs> like, I would like, there would be like some asinine thing I would say, mm-hmm. but then I'd be at the four sixes or like I'd be standing next to Trevor or Leon coffee or JB Mooney. And it's just like, people would be like, man, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> But this other thing that he's around him with is pretty, you know, it'd throw people off, yeah. you know? And uh, and so people started to catch on, you know, and it was just, um, but yeah, that was, that was just the early days and man, eight years ago. And that was early, in my mind, uh, that was probably early for content at all, right? Like there wasn't a whole lot of creators out there and I'm sure it was very weird for you to show up day working and having people film you and the same with rodeos. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, if you watch, to be honest, like if I'm, if I'm like somewhere, the four sixes, for instance, if I'm there for a week, you know, if you watch some of those clips, like the actual working part, it might total two or three minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm there for a week and we have like a 60 hour work week, two minutes is like, you know, 15, that's, that's eight, 15 second clips. That's not very much. Like you don't even notice it, yeah. you know? And so somebody might say like, Dale's on his phone a lot. Well, hold on mm-hmm. two minutes in a week. That's not <laughs> very much, you know, cause the rest of it will be at the teepees or something. Yeah. You know, so like, and also like if you've ever been on a big drive, like, you can stop, you can get off your horse, you can take a poop, like you can <laughs> go over to your buddy, you can chit chat. Like there's a lot of instances, you know, like yeah. I'm pretty good about knowing the heat of the moment, you know? Yeah. 
And like, I'm not going to, I'm not an idiot. I'm mm. not going to pull my phone out when somebody's... In the middle of a cow fight. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I just won't get that. Like, who cares, you know? Um, now, here at my house, we're filming everything. Like, the cows I have here, like, these cameras pay for these cows, you mm-hmm. know? But if I'm day working somewhere, I'm pretty damn responsible. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not an idiot. So, some people might shake their heads, but they're going to shake their heads no matter what. <laughs> but... um. But yeah, those videos, <clears throat> I learned the, the like I said, for them to be interested, you have to be interesting. You know, I've got to provide value. I've got to provide more value to the audience in exchange for asking for something in return. So Gary Vee says, give, 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 ask. It's not give, 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 take. He calls it jab, 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 right hook. Mm -hmm. And essentially what that means is like brand, 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 sell. So like if you personally, like you followed, you watched enough videos and I brought you enough value that when Christmas time rolled around, I was like, hey, I've also got these caps. You were like, heck yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I really, one thing about me, I really enjoy basketball, you know? And so like I watch this, I watch basketball and blah, 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 you know, well then like, when a t-shirt pops up, I might buy that t-shirt because like I've gotten so much value out of watching these certain players play and dunk and do all these things, you know? And so like for me to buy that t-shirt, like I'll gladly Mm -hmm. give my wallet out and like the value I've gotten from watching this team play, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, some people come to the internet and they just ask, Mm -hmm. they don't give anything and they wonder why it doesn't work. Well, they've forgotten what it's, what it's like to be a consumer of the, you know, yeah, you can't just – he really, you know, in my mind, built it right. It's hard. If you were relying on that for your sole income, you know, it wouldn't have worked. But you built a huge brand and had a bunch of people ask, and then you gave them the product. Mm-hmm. It's not like you were just trying to monetize right off the bat. You were just doing, just being you, yeah. just, just following your passion and yeah. and putting it out there. And then when people start asking, you know – give them what they asked for, right? Yeah. I mean, exactly. Like we, it's like you pour water on a table. Keith Mundy with American Hats told me this um, analogy, but you pour water on a table and you see where it goes. We don't know where it's going to go. I, I don't know where it would go on this table. Mm-hmm. We pour water on it. We see where it goes. And then that's where we go to clean up the mess. Um, well, that's the same thing in, in business and with what I've done. Like essentially I just started doing and pouring water on a table and it went down this apparel route. And so that's what I followed. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's three ways to monetize on the internet with the kind of line of work I'm in. Number one, you can sell a product, which is what I do. Number two, you can get sponsors and help them sell a product. Or number three, um, you can offer a service. And so I do all three. Mm-hmm. I kind of look at a number four and a five stream of income. Uh, YouTube would be number four because that's kind of, those are like essentially ads, sponsors that I don't have to go monetize. So I kind of put them in a different category than the sponsors I have. And then the fifth way to monetize would be appearances, in my opinion. So there's five streams of income, all that you can do based on doing one thing, Mm -hmm. and that's create and distribute content. So once you get going, you know, in the beginning, you don't want to think about 
those five streams of income. You want to just do the fundamentals and do them good and do them over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Like same with you with this podcast. That's what I would suggest to you. You know, mm-hmm. like if somebody comes to you with a sponsorship, that's fine. But I wouldn't worry about the money. Like yeah. I would just try to get the best guests you can. You know, and you're starting at the bottom, Dale Brisby. So I, you know, like you got you scraping the bottom of the barrel here, but like try to get the best guest you can and bring your audience the most value possible. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about the money. It'll come. Like just do it over and over and over and over again. Like bring value, bring value. And um, he who holds the breath the longest wins. That's mm-hmm. what Gary Vee said. And what he was referring to was like creators like yourself. The longer you're able to hold your breath and, and hold out and put, uh, push the money to the, the side and tell even ask. tell people no. He who holds his breath the longest wins, meaning like when you finally do monetize it, it should hit harder. For mm. instance, if you had apparel, like, well, if you wait till you had the most followers or if you, you know, like hold out for a sponsor, like it, the, the numbers are just going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, that's that's what I really like Alex Ramosi right now. And uh, that's one of the things he says is the longer you can delay the ask, the more you can ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really I'm not looking to, uh, uh, you know, to make a big income or anything off of this. I'm looking to provide value. I think there was a need for well, something it's okay. like this. I yeah. think it's okay if you do. Yeah. Like there's nothing morally wrong with coming to the, like I talked about like how, like I, I wasn't here to make money. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I'm like better than somebody that does show up to make, like, it's okay to want to make yeah. money. There's, everybody's, everybody's got a, this know. is capitalism. This mm-hmm. is free enterprise. Yeah. Like you got to pay the bills. And yeah. so I don't think there's anything morally wrong with you doing this podcast with the end goal of monetizing it. Yeah. Like that, what's wrong with that? Like mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a liberal, you know, no offense to anybody who is, but like I am a capitalist and yeah. that's what, that's what drives this country. Your motivation to do this could lead to employing several people. Yeah. I've got a dozen people that work in this warehouse. My number one paid employee is Lisa. She's uh she runs my life. Single mom, five kids. She makes more money working for me than she has in any other job she's ever had. She's happier now than she's ever been. Mm-hmm. My motivation to just and to be honest like i grew up poor my motivation is fear of being poor Mm -hmm. i don't have an end goal number in mind because to be honest i just don't want to go back to being poor yeah i enjoy a steak like i do i'm sorry like i just don't want to be poor it terrifies the shit out of me and that's my motivation lisa has benefited from that motivation more than anybody on my team Right. I don't know, like Donnie, who just walked in and walked out, he's going to go to the NFR. What he was doing before, he was a bartender in Missouri. And because of me coming down this path and being motivated, Donnie's now a bronc rider. Mm-hmm. He's got checks in that desk right there. I was looking for an SD card, and I saw, you know, like he's winning money riding Bronx. Mm-hmm. And he's benefited from my motivation. So, like, I hope that you do make a lot of money mm-hmm. because not only you and that little precious girl you had with you are going to be, you know, like she's going to have a great life. Hopefully the one better than you. Ha- I don't know what your past is, but like, that's yeah. what I hope for my kids, you know? And there's just nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with, you know, everybody talks about Elon Musk and how much money he made. Well, he paid a whole freaking lot in taxes. There's mm-hmm. a lot of fam. There's a lot of leases out there. 
that have the best life they, they've ever had because of Elon Musk. So, yeah, yeah let him make some money. Who cares? Mm-hmm. A lot of other people benefiting. But anyhow, that's just – that's. and I know you – I think you probably – feel the same as I do, you know? And that's, that's kind of what this is about. Like the wealthy cowboy, it's, it's tying to the cowboy way of life. Like me and you live, but also the other side of it that you've seen. And I've seen a little bit of it, but the, the business side, the mainstream business and, and money and how money works and in the game of money. And if somebody, you know, I feel like there's got to be other people out there that it's fine if you just want to be a camp cowboy and make 2000 a month or whatever. A thousand percent. It, that the, is fine. But there's got to be, I know there's other people out there like me that have bigger goals and want to own their own ranch and, you know, own some of their own things yes. and be able to go do, you know, and have the freedom. Well, here's the flip side of my coin. All that that I just said. My dad died. That's a couple of months before my first video. May of 2013. Two months before my first video. Um, when he died, he had $800 in his account. Split that four ways. Do the math. Yeah. Now, he didn't really have any debt. He had a pickup payment, and that was it. You know, and so... And he also had a really cool job managing a ranch that Leroy and I took over, and they gave us the job behind him because mm-hmm. uh, we were working for him. And so essentially he gave me a fishing pole and it was a really good start. I worked there for two years before they sold it <clears throat> in 2015. They sold the ranch. And so that's when I came up here to Young County to work for Chet. Well, anyways, he died with $800. If I had to trade, you know, any amount of wealth, like it's like choose, like maybe Elon Musk. Like if I've got the opportunity to be the, the Elon Musk of rodeo or my dad, a thousand times out of a thousand, I would choose my dad. Yeah. Like the man he was. Like he was a cowboy. He died horseback. He, uh, when we were born, he was working. He was a camper, just like you said. Mm-hmm. West Camp at the Four, at, not at the Four Sixes, at the Pitchfork Ranch. It, it borders the Four Sixes, but mm-hmm. that's where that's where we lived. It was the two story house. They've since torn it down. There were snakes everywhere, but, um, and that was the life he lived. And that was the life he died. He was a cowboy. He was like Billy Graham mixed with Woodrow F. Call. The comedy side of my DNA came from my mom. My dad had some jokes occasionally, but like he was a serious man and he was a God-fearing man. And faith and loyalty are the two attributes I would attach to his legacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight: stand firm in the Lord. And he, that's what he would do. That's what he would be doing today. And he also had eight hundred dollars in his account. He was poor. He was he was broke. You know, mm-hmm. he had a good job. He worked his ass off, and he raised a, a family that hopefully we all fear the Lord. But there's just no question. I would not tr- if I had to pick. I'm picking him. Now, moving forward from that, is there a way that I can create a legacy like my old man had, but then also, you know, have more than we had growing up. And I think there is. We can get creative. It's not an or thing. Yeah. Thank the Lord it's an and thing. It can be an and thing. Mm-hmm. It can be that, you know. Um, that's that's the message I'm trying to push. It's not because a lot of people think, you know, money is the root of all evil, which money can't, greed can drive, 
people to do evil things and it does and but there are a lot of a lot of big money people out there you know that i follow that use their money for good and philanthropy and and mentoring younger people and just like you said also that's what drives the economy right the a rich person has a business and they employ a lot of people and you know it can change their lives and Mm -hmm. i think you said greed can drive a lot and i think i think there's a lot of times that greed can there is that greed greed is maybe what drives people but i think most often uh, it's i don't think it's greed that drives people down this path of money too far i think one of i think the biggest issue in this entire country with with the fall of dating back to the fall of man the biggest issue that nobody talks about is pride i think pride is competitive i think all pride is competitive i don't think all competition is pride but i do think all pride is competitive and because once you start to get a little bit of money or anything it could be anything but we're talking about money so like you start to get a little bit of money now all of a sudden you start to notice oh jim over here you know or the joneses keeping up with the joneses like that's what that is Mm -hmm. they're keeping up with they're competing with the Joneses. Well, that even that analogy is talking about money. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to, yeah, we need a little bit bigger house because the Joneses in town have a bigger house and it's going to make you feel better. All yeah. right, well, that's not greed driving you. That's pride. Mm-hmm. Pride is what made the devil the devil. And then like it, it talks about the devil was such a beautiful angel. Like he was it, in, in Ezekiel, it talks about his pride and that's what caused him and a third of the angels to fall before man was even created. Then in the in the Garden of Eden, the devil used pride and put that in man and, and, and tempted man with that. Like, hey, if you eat this fruit, you can be like God. And and his and I was like, yeah, I want to be like God. Mm-hmm. So that's what pride caused the fall of man. Like it's it's the OG sin. And it is in all of us. And pride is competitive. That's why if you are a proud person like I am, you don't typically get along with proud people. Everybody gets along with a humble person mm-hmm. because they don't compete with you. Yeah. Ever, if you think about the most humble people you can think of, everybody loves them. <laughs> but usually, and a humble person can get along with proud people, but usually you don't see the most, like if the more you dislike it, the more you have it. So be careful. But anyways, whatever. The point is, that that's that's something that that like I've just got a little bit more of like a personal over the last couple of years like I've got a couple of very humble people in my life that I've uh, been studying just watching them. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of them are guys, one of them's a girl, but they're just the most humble. These three individuals are the most humble that I that I know, and um, I've been studying them and I've been reading. I've probably read six books on pride and humility. And I, I've now realized just how much pride I've had my entire life. And um, it's, it's caused me to realize like why I don't like certain individuals just because my pride is in competition with theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I've done is identify it. I've gotten no closer to humility, yeah. which is the opposite of pride. <laughs> Whatever. That's a whole nother tangent. But I do think if you're a Christian out there and you're trying to walk, the opposite of 
of pride is humility. Everything that is that is the devil is like the what made the devil the devil is pride. Well, the opposite of that is what made Christ. Christ is his humility. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's Philippians two. Like Christ was a picture of humility, and so as Christians, that's what we should strive for: is the is the is humility. Um, how do you how do you balance that? It's that's something that I in my where I'm at on my journey right now is kind of tough because you want to balance your gratitude, be very grateful for what you have, being alive, the everything. You you want to be grateful first of all, but then you also have that hunger for more and the drive and the pride, you know, to go to go out there and make money or to go be the best at a sport or you know, to be the best bull rider, to be the best cowboy. How do you how do you how do you go about balancing that, you think? Well, the Bible says to work wholeheartedly as if for the Lord in Corinthians, uh, Colossians 3.23. And it, it like it's okay to work hard at something, mm-hmm. but you really need to look at your, your motivation and what's getting you there. It's not a sin to compete. I'm not saying all competition is pride. I think all pride is competition. We all know how, I mean, like we, my dad had, that, this is one thing my dad told me is or never told me is that he was proud of me mm-hmm. and he said the the bible said god opposes the proud like and what c.s lewis says is that sometimes what someone said what someone means some just the english language if you told lottie that you were proud of her because she says her first word what you might mean is you have a warm-hearted admiration for her. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people that say the word, no, it's okay to be proud. You know, like I'm proud of my kid. It's her first step. But well, what you might mean is you have a warm-hearted admiration for your kid. Um, or you might actually mean proud, and you are literally proud that your kid can walk, and the Jones's kid down the street is the same age and can't. Mm-hmm. And there's literally that competition in you, and you're like, hell Yeah. <laughs> Look at Lottie. They think they're all better than me. My kid's walking and yours isn't. Like that, you know, you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. you can feel that. That's sin. That is sin. And that's what the Bible says, not Dale Brisby. Mm-hmm. And so I I think the that's where you've got to you've got to really analyze. Like when you are trying to be a good cowboy, are you trying to rope really good in this pen full of calves? Are you trying to not miss? Because so-and-so over there that you don't like didn't miss. That is a competitive pride that I believe is a sin. Mm -hmm. That is the opposite of humility. That is not the way Jesus Christ would act. If that is your motivation, I think you need to reanalyze why it is you want to. Now, if you want to do really good because the Lord has blessed you with this opportunity and you'd like to do good, like, but there's... Keep it internal. there's, there's, There's a vanity is like... The book that I read that really sparked this is Mere Christianity. And it's a long book. It's called The Book for the Unconvinced. And it's it's a former atheist explaining Christianity to people. And he doesn't use a lot of scripture in it because he's trying to essentially convince, for instance, an atheist mm-hmm. who doesn't believe in the Bible. So he's approaching Christianity from a, a logical point of view, just and he's using the world. Well, anyways, there's a there's a chapter in there, coincidentally, called The Greatest Sin. 
or the great sin. It's on, it starts on page 121. And for about seven pages, he talks about pride and humility, unlike anything I'd ever read before. And it opened me up to some books, but essentially he, he, he describes pride and vanity as a little more innocent version where it's like, at least we care what people think. We're worried about what people think. Like mm-hmm. when I ride into the Brandon pen, you know, like, man, I hope I do good in front of all my buddies. Yeah. You know, well, that, that that's vanity. And, uh, but there's, there's a step further a little, a little more black diabolical pride that I don't even care what they think. I'm better than all these guys and I don't care what they think. That's, that's like a, that's like a deeper, it's a spiritual sin. There's fleshly sins. That's just like you're tempted to gorge yourself at the buffet, you know, and, and kind of gluttony. There's mm-hmm. a sexual temptation. That's like a fleshly, like, th- but then there's a spiritual pro- uh, sin that would be like a spiritual cancer. Yeah. And uh, what gets really tricky, it, we're getting into the weeds on Christianity, yeah. <laughs> but like what gets really, this, they're not weeds, okay? They're flowers. <laughs> what gets really tricky is um, when, the, for instance, the Pharisees, and I'm fearful that I've done this in my walk because I've never drank. There was a time where I'd never cussed even. And it's just like you start checking those boxes of for the sake of pride. You understand? So like you you're so like you're saying you're you proud. Know, you're, yeah, you're proud that you never drink. Yeah. And what C.S. Lewis says is the devil is completely contented at seeing your chill blains cured, which is like a, just a sore, like a cut on your, he's, he's completely content seeing a cut on your hand cured in exchange to give you cancer, which is what pride is. I've got my, my two years of work on this, not work, like I'm not trying to learn this so I can tell you guys, but like uh, Donald Brown at the R.A. Brown Ranch, he had me come, he was like, hey, can you come talk at my church? And I was like, all right, sure. This is what I've been studying. I'll talk about this. And they filmed it. And so we put it online. It's called Dale Brisby Sermon. Just look up Dale Brisby Sermon. It's got all the scriptures that I've been studying to to uh, um, <clears throat> put together just what where I'm at right now in my study of my personal pride. Regardless, how does that affect my business? I think in every way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of my videos, like... It's funny the path that God has taken me with my comedy, but like really like my daily struggle is what I've just been talking about for the last six minutes. Um, you know, the cocky bull rider who's essentially like every morning, like I'm just studying this spiritual cancer that I have, mm-hmm. you know, that's not going to keep me from leaning into the comedy side of things. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, trying to make people laugh. Like I think that, God has a sense of humor, but, um, yeah, I think you've really, uh, evolved from starting out just comedy, doing pranks, doing stupid stuff. Uh, the cocky bull rider, you know, the greatest cowboy ever and all this stuff. But now you're pushing out the message of faith, uh, spreading that spreading positivity and, and being a positive influence, to the world and, and a lot of young kids 
follow you and, and being a positive influence to them and being a great ambassador of of cowboys, I think. Thank you, number one. Um, one way that I have felt, you know, you talked about like how do we as businessmen, cowboys, like move forward addressing like our pride. So like I've got, I do, as a businessman, I very much appreciate like real estate, um, specifically rental property. Mm -hmm. And I, I like single family homes. You know, multifamily is super interesting to me, but mm -hmm. single family, like it just has like, you got a lot more options when it comes time to like exit and you're trying to get out of there, like mm -hmm. a lot more buyers out there. Well, anyways, so like in this little town, you know, one of my good friends is real estate agent here and Lisa knows the community and, you know, missed out on a couple properties and um, two certain individuals who have X amount of properties. And I think that one way that that pride can attach to you in business is like, cause I could feel it. It's just like, Oh man, we got whooped on this one by so-and-so mm -hmm. who has this, this, and this. If that becomes my new motivation, I believe that is, that is the beginning of I'm going down a path that could lead to some super serious spiritual cancer. Yeah. You know, like, why am I doing reasons. this? Why am I doing this? And I think a lot of people lean into that. I think a lot of people, I think we're encouraged to lean into that. The world is encouraged. Matter of fact, if you are not a Christian, you are 100% encouraged to lean into being proud of your work. But go to the scriptures. You can tell me, people can, like if you're out there listening and you can, you can say like, no, there's some good pride. All right, I disagree with you, but you find it for me in scriptures. Find it for me. Yeah. Because I can't. Well, and just like you were saying earlier, it could they could be using the word in a different meaning. And there's a lot of instances like that. Mm -hmm. And you like got to define, you can get into that in any argument, you know, arguing with my wife, we may, we can't, we may not be communicating. Like we may be saying the same word, but different meaning. You got to define, you know, what those words are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you say them, what the other person 100%. Means. It means everything. Mm -hmm. The de definition of the word you're using in the context of it, it means everything. But I think this is the biggest thing in the world. And I, I you can have no more faith than you have humility. And I talk about sometimes with Shady. I listen to Brad Lee a lot, um, and one thing he says is is humble. A lot of people say, you know, you need to stay humble or whatever. And he on a lot of times on his show he will ask Siri, you know, the definition of a word in it. Humble is, one definition of it is have a low opinion of oneself. And he's like, that's not me. You don't need to be humble. You don't need to have a low opinion of yourself. You know, if, if you've got something inside of you, you need to have the confidence, you know, to get it out there, to put it out. It may help somebody. <clears throat> well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 4, verse 7, he's addressing the church in Corinth. And what's happening is in this church Paul started the church and then he left and he's addressing the church they start bragging and they start like well I need to be the leader because Paul discipled mm -hmm. me somebody else says I need to be the leader because Apollos discipled discipled me 
Cephas. There's three of them. And they're arguing. And Paul says, do not boast in men. Um, don't be prideful about the men that you're, you know, like, well, I'm buddies with, yeah, I'm buddies with Trevor. You know, like, don't boast in men. And Paul says, I don't care what you think. Paul takes it one step further that nobody takes it to. Nobody in this world right now takes it this to the length that Paul did. Paul says, I don't care what you think of me. Matter of fact, I don't even care what I think of me. He says, my conscience is clear. Conscience, why did I say it like that? My <laughs> conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Paul in 1 Timothy calls himself the chief of all sinners. This is maybe the most influential person in the history of man, at least top five. He wrote most of the New Testament. He's like, he's essentially formed like all these churches. Like he's the, he is the Christian church and he calls himself the chief of sinners. But in Romans 8, 1, he says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So like when you come to Christ, it's much different <clears throat> You went to Tarleton? Mm-hmm. You went for four years, and then they hand you a piece of paper. Well, when you come to Christ, you go into freshman orientation, they hand you your diploma the first day. And they're like, all right, go to class. The world doesn't work like that. But with Christ, it does. And that's what Paul meant. Once you, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So you come to Christ, and you're good. So your opinion of you actually doesn't matter. It, it Other people's opinion of you definitely doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Your opinion of you doesn't either. Is what Paul is saying yeah. in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 through chapter 4, verse 7. He said, I don't care what you think. I don't even care what I think. He thinks he's the chief of sinners. He thinks he was the lowest of low. Turned out he was like, he's one of the most influential people in the world. Mm-hmm in the history of man, not just the world. And uh, that is something because every, everybody is going to tell you, don't worry about what they think. Even non-Christians will tell you that. Yeah. But nobody says, don't even worry about what you think. Yeah. Except for Paul. Yeah. And I, I want to get back on business here in a minute, but since we're, we went off on this, have you read the book Wild at Heart? No, I've, I've, I need to. People have You've heard told of me it. to. Yeah, I've heard of it. I, I got it for Christmas, and um, I'd really forgot. I'd, I have a book list in my notes, and I just when I hear of something, I'll put it in there. Well, uh, for Christmas, I just sent this out. I said, if y'all want to get me something, get me a book off this list. My sister-in-law got this, and I was like, I couldn't even remember what it was about, but I got into it reading it, and it's pretty cool. It's about being a man, mm -hmm. and he ties a lot of it back to to Christianity and a lot of it back to scripture, but also, you know, being a man, being, being strong, providing, you know, he relates it back to going out in the wild and like you're hunting and stuff like that. Now going out, being in nature, being in wild. And I think that's, um, that's a big topic right now. The red pill or whatever, Andrew Tate, Justin Waller, those guys and, the other side saying it's toxic and all this stuff. What do you think? What are your views? Um, you can relate it back to scripture, however you want, but like, what are your views? What do you think a man should be? What do you think? Like, 
are some things a man can do to find himself. When David was going after the king's daughter, he was like, bring me a hundred Philistine foreskins. And instead he brought him 200. And he cut the dicks off of 200 Philistines. He cut their dicks off. And that's, I mean, like, pardon my French, but God called David a man after his own heart. And he's cutting dudes' wieners off. Like, that's, that's, what, the, that's what the Bible says. So, like, I'm yeah. sorry for being vulgar, but that's what the Bible says. And, like, we've got warriors like that. I mean, we've been in war for 20 years, mm-hmm. you know. And there's warriors like that, like just salty dudes that have killed more people than they can count. Mm-hmm. And um, I just don't think that's toxic. Like, I don't know. I just, I was not raised for that to be like that. That's now, I don't think you have to do that to be a, a manly man. Mm-hmm. Like I know, I know other men who, uh, you know, like I can think of one or two right now that might be a doctor or a lawyer that like they've never been in a fight. Mm-hmm. And um, they're some of the individuals that in life's hardest lessons, I would want them to be standing next to me. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm come, come, this, I'm a rodeo cowboy <laughs> and there's, I think I've not been in a lot of fights myself, but I've been on a lot of bucking horses, a lot of bulls. And I think that there's, I think in war, there's probably the same kind of people that are in rodeo, this analogy at least. I'm not trying to say that we're equal to those guys at all. Like, obviously, the stakes are different. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, like, with, with rodeo, like, there's the kind of guys that like to have ridden a bull. They like to have been on a bull, so they can say they've been on a bull. Mm-hmm. Then there's the guys that like to ride bulls. And I think in a fight, there's the same thing. It's like, there's the guys that like to have been in a fight. But then the ones you really got to be scared of are the ones that like to fight. I'm really good buddies with Cerrone. And he likes to fight. He likes to be in it. He likes between the bells. He likes the actual fight. But there's guys that just, they like to have fought. I like to ride bucking horses. I like to be in that moment. Like it's so pure. Mm -hmm. It's so pure. And it kind of touches on your wild at heart like a man needs a fight to fight. And like being on the back of a horse because... The thing about bucking horses and rodeo is it's counterintuitive. On a bucking horse, for instance, your intuition will tell you to sit up and pull. But to ride a, a saddle bronc horse, you have to keep your shoulders behind your hips. So you got to lean back and you've got to lift on your bronc rein, not pull. Because mm-hmm. if you get bucked off, you weren't doing one of those two fundamentals. You were either pulling, you, you, you weren't lifting or you weren't staying back. So you got to do them both. So it's counterintuitive. Well, if you let your emotions take over, well, then your intuition takes over. And that's why you see like beginners, they'll sit up and pull, then they get yard darted or ran out the back. And um, so am I able to control my emotions and be counterintuitive? And the, in that moment, in that fight, like that's, it's the most pure moment because the bucking horse is going to do his thing. And when he does, are you able to counteract those emotions and execute and 
I think I think that's what excites me about toxic masculinity, whether it's bronc riding or SEAL Team Six guy cleaning clearing a room or whatever it is. Like, are you able to be counterintuitive in life? Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the kind of guys that are able to do that are getting. I mean, that's what our that's what they're after is the kind of guys that are able to be counterintuitive and go against the flow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I heard, um, I heard maybe it was Jordan Peterson or or somebody like that was talking about, you know, it says the meek shall inher- inherit the earth, mm-hmm. but that people take that the wrong way. It's not weak. It's, he describes it as meek as being a warrior being a soldier, but being able to control that. Yeah, what was that defensive end's name? White. Was it Reggie White or Randy White? Reg, I think it was Reggie White. My dad loved him. He played for the Eagles. He passed away. That's what he said. Don't don't mistake my meekness for weakness. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I need to look that up. I'm embarrassed for my old man that I don't remember his name. My, my perspective really changed um, having a kid – as far as as money and then also as myself physically and mentally being able to do the hard things and i'm like how am i going to protect her you know if somebody came up snatched her up and ran can i run can i run that person down right you know or when i catch him can i kick his ass you know right so it's that was my thoughts on it so i was like i need to get in the gym I need to learn how to fight. I know you've been doing jujitsu. I haven't got into that yet. It interests me. I, I took some. We did some kickboxing and stuff. And um, I know on one one of your podcasts or something lately, they were saying you need to learn to strike a little bit and and roll. But yeah, um, that that was that was my take on it. it was like I, I've got to be able to protect my family, and I think that's that's part of being a man, right? Well, I was talking to Cerrone um, who's been in hundreds of fights professional fighter for 25 years and I, I was like man I, I got in one fight in high school me and Chris Brinson rolled around for about 30 seconds mm-hmm. and uh, so if somebody came to me on the street the only thing I would have going in my favor is I'm not in the worst shape and that I probably won't quit yeah. You know, like I'll, I, I will probably, I probably won't. I think that's, you know, like I've been hit kind of hard in rodeo. Um, and that, that's it. That's it. No training. Mm-hmm. Like if, if somebody watched UFC, they would have more training than me. <laughs> and so that's been my motivation as well. It's but, not that, like, I'm not trying to be a badass. I'm not trying to go fight any. I have no desire to fight, mm-hmm. but like I would love for, some fundamentals to kick in if I did have to protect myself or my family or my friends, you know, because that's the other thing. If me and you are standing next to each other and somebody pokes you in the chest, if I move away from you, that means me and you ain't friends. <laughs> but if you and I are friends and I can, and I, and, I, and like my shoulder gets closer to your shoulder, then that means I'm that's. And so like, I know like maybe I have some friends that, get poked in the chest you know like yeah you can do something hopefully yeah and that's um 
that that was me. Like no skills. Um, like you said, a little bit of just cowboy toughness and grit. I've been kicked by plenty of cattle and horses and stuff yeah. like that. Hopefully that helps you. Yeah. And, but it may not because when, in 2024, a lot of people know a lot of things. Yeah. And when we, when we went to, to Muay Thai to kickboxing, you know, we're we warm up and stuff and he's like, all right, we're going to do some drills. And he's like, uh, we'll do one, two, three combo. And we're just like, he's like, you don't know what that is to you. I was like, no. So he had to show us, I mean, everything. Where do you live? Gatesville. Yeah, so I live in Winnebago has like 300 people. Mm -hmm. And there happens to be up the road a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And he's... That's pretty lucky. So, well, or strategic <laughs> by the good Lord. Like he put him here, you know. And so uh, we have him stop by here in the gym a couple times a week. So um, that's one of the reasons I chose jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just very intriguing to me. I'll, I'll I'll get to the striking eventually. Yeah, so. yeah. They said like jujitsu is very much, I guess, like a chess game. It's if if you get submitted, you you did something wrong, right? Um, I wanted to ask you about that too. Your, I mean, being a roughie, you probably stayed in the gym, like stayed in shape throughout your life, and now I see your videos. You know, you're doing the cold plunges, doing the sauna, doing jujitsu. Um, the gym, the carnivore diet, like talk about like your, your health regimen a little bit, like what that is. <sighs> well, my old man died of a heart attack at 55 and I've been doing a lot of research. It turns out half the people that die of a heart attack did not have high cholesterol. And that is not what the world has told us. Mm-hmm. Just like Rogan talks about, they came out with this big lie. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a theory. It was a theory. And they paint it as truth. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's all a theory. No, There's no proof that red meat causes that. Mm -hmm. Or that high cholesterol causes it. Half the people that die from heart attack did not have high cholesterol. Like, how do you explain that? That's that's five out of ten. So you guys are thinking, like, what what about those five? I would have assumed it'd be like 95 out of 100, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyhow, I kind of got to rethinking, you know, what everyone says about cholesterol. And I just, and, but backing up, like my entire motivation, like I was Jacobs Crawley, who y you know, um, one of my best friends, we were college roommates, like same, like roommates, like we had bunk beds and, um, uh, he uh, he was helping me with my bronc riding. Bull riding, I'm the greatest of all time. But bronc riding, he was helping me out. You know, I needed some help there. And uh, we were talking about it. And it was shortly after he won the world in 2015. But he said three words that really kind of resonated with me on my motivation to stay in shape. Because prior to that, it was all rodeo. And I didn't know what would drive a guy to stay in shape after when they weren't rodeoing. I'd been rodeoing my whole life, so like yeah. that was, you know. But he said three words, and it was quality of life. And that was the beginning. That was early 16, right after he won the world, because he was in, dude, this joker, it was, I wouldn't be surprised if it was less than 2% body fat when he won the world. Crazy. And it's not, and he might be, it might be three or four now, you know, like the joke, he's in crazy good mm -hmm. shape. But, um, but that was an additional driving factor for him was quality of life. 
and it blew my mind, you know. Um, and over the last six years, I've had six surgeries, you know, rodeo related. Like I've had dislocated shoulders five times, like my, my collarbone, broke my collarbone three times, two back surgeries, um, just one thing after the other. And so getting back in the arena, like I still do rodeo, but it's just, I'm, I've, golly, it's just in and out. And I've realized more than ever just how important, you know, being in good shape is. But one of the things I'm most the, – the, one of my driving factors is, like, just dementia. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it doesn't really run rampant in my family or anything, but just, like, I, I, it, it terrifies me to just, like – Lose control. Lose control. And I just see so many people just kind of, like, get towards the, the last – quarter of their life and they just kind of like eh, you know and they're not walking they're not but a supposedly like actual weight training and sauna and um, cholesterol are like the best things for your brain mm-hmm. and so that's one of my main you know my heart the heart deal nobody really knows like that could maybe take me whenever yeah I don't think that like fried foods and processed foods are going to help that at all. I feel like that's probably anyhow. It's also, you sharpen your ax every morning before you start chipping away at the tree. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you can't just, you can't just use that ax all day, every day and not sharpen it. Like you've got to, you only have 24 hours in the day. And so essentially if you got to, for you and your little girl, you're going to, you're going to have these, these, You've got to be hyper focused the times that you're working. And you got to take advantage of every minute, you know, because you're going to want to spend that time with her. And so I suggest early morning mm-hmm. when her and Shady are asleep, you're not missing anything. Yeah. So like you I think you 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 become a morning person, which thankfully I always have been, but Dude, nobody's doing anything at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. Then you're not going to be getting texts or emails. Yeah, I, I love it. I love From 4 to 6:30. Dude, that's your world. You can read, you can study, you do can whatever you want. Do it's whatever you want. And I, I've had this conversation recently several times with different people. Is I heard it somewhere, but there's only so much energy in the world, and this really makes a lot of sense to me. There's only so much energy in the world. So when everybody's awake in the middle of the day everybody's pulling out of it. Mm-hmm. There's not that much left for you. But if you can either work really late at night, which, you know, is, is kind of a jacked up schedule, but it could work for the right person, or early in the morning before people wake up, which is more conducive to our life, you can you can get some of that energy, you know, draw on some of that energy while everybody else is asleep. Mm-hmm. And I, I really believe that. I feel... Um, I've heard people say, you know, I've always thought it was bullshit. You know, you work out, you feel better. You run, you feel better, blah, blah, blah. You wake up early, you feel better. And the best thing I've heard is try to prove it wrong. Mm-hmm. Go do it. Yeah, that's a good point. Go do it and try, don't don't think that that's right. Yeah. You go try to prove it wrong and just see. Because I was one of those people, I was like, you know, I woke up early a lot to go to work, but didn't work out, didn't do anything like that for my health. And then started started doing it, started being conscious of it and intentional about it. And you do, like, I love going in the morning, especially if I can get up, like you said, before everybody else, go work out, 
come back and I listen to podcasts or something Mm -hmm. constructive while I'm doing it. So it's mind and body and then come back and they're waking up and start the day. And it's, Mm -hmm. you just start ahead of everybody. It seems like hundred percent. Yeah. What about, so I'm kind of on the carnivore diet. I don't, I want to know like your take on it. So I mess around a little bit with fasting and then also mainly carnivore, um, meat and eggs, um, I cheat every once in a while. I love chips and queso and chips and hot sauce when we go to well, the Mexican the, restaurant. Well, that's it. That's the rub. Mm-hmm. The meat and the eggs is the hard part is the elimination part. Mm-hmm. It's not the the meat. And the, I mean, like we both love steak. Mm-hmm. You know, chicken's okay. Eggs yeah. are great. You know, you can have milk, cheese. Like there's all those things are great. I added fruit. I have fruit yeah. because like once you like when you run through your body fat supply, like after, you know, after however long that takes, like you will have no energy. And so that fruit helps with the energy. But, um, the I've got hardest a lot, part, I've got a lot more fat on me to burn than you do. So <laughs> I can see it. I can yeah, see Well, that. it won't take long. <laughs> the hardest part. Yeah. People will start thinking you're on drugs. <laughs> like you'll start losing it in your face and it will happen immediately. Mm-hmm. Once you eliminate the chips and salsa, the tacos, like when you eliminate those things for, it takes about two months but it is difficult to get off of bread. That's the new thing for me. Like I'm not, you know, not to throw rocks at someone who's obese, but like in my head, like if I were to see someone obese, it's just like, oh, they eat a lot of bread. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's my, you know, it's like just they eat a lot of bread products in the form of chips, tortillas, actual bread, cake, whatever it is. And that just like, that's just not providing you any nutrition mm-hmm. like the, the grains the seeds the flour it does nothing for you and Dude, there's people there's people that survive jordan peterson just beef mm-hmm. just beef salt that's water it. and salt and ruminant water meat. beef mm-hmm. that is it and like thriving matter of fact like their immune diseases are immune their autoimmune disorders diseases whatever are being eliminated because they're going on that diet. Skin conditions gone. Mm-hmm. So not only are they surviving on it, it's curing things. Yeah. That's what got me started. I was like, hold up. Everybody's saying Cures beef diseases. is bad. <laughs> this some bitch got on just beef and it cured him. Mm-hmm. How is that? I mean, there's something to that. That's what made that's what turned the world upside down. And like his gums got healthier. Everything. Everything. Only beef. Lamb occasionally. Like ruminant animals, mm-hmm. but like it would be beef. Like that he would have beef for breakfast, beef for lunch, beef for dinner, mm-hmm. and so that's what made me decide to try the carnivore. And it's there's so many stories like that. I started following Sean Baker, and I mean, so many stories of people that that's changed their lives and and cured diseases. You know, me and you weren't like didn't have anything that drastic that we had to do it to save our lives. Correct. So it's a little bit more difficult, but it was easy for me. Like you said, we like we like steak, we like eggs. Just start eliminating the dude. The you other don't stuff. need sides. Mm-hmm. It's easy. This, it's this super whole easy world, to like, cook. It's like, like yeah, dude. Just for kidding. lunch today, I was at Lisa's house. The lady I was talking about earlier, I uh, cooked her um, a chicken breast and me a steak, and that's it. I had half of the chicken breast and half the steak and she had the other half. And um that was it. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? It's super easy. 
Like, and, and you don't have to have a side. You don't have to have rice and not even salad, mm-hmm. which blows my mind. But, and I, and I want to call out the beef industry that we're in it. And why did we have to go on this long journey out into the world to find out? No kidding. That why our not? industry could save lives. Yeah. Like why that. do you go to these, these producers, like all these beef guys, and they're just, they're obese, you know, it's like, what does your buckle say? Well, I can't tell it because it's pointed at the ground because your belly is pushing over. Won't you guys well, gotta promote the industry? All right, well, then just eat beef and see what it does. Like, yeah. so let's show the world what beef can do, you know? Yeah. It, need, that's exactly need some, right. That's some, a good point. Some jacked guys up there talking about it. Not. Yeah, no kidding. Thank you. Like, hey, I'm on beef only. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It cures cancer. Um, so now that we've covered all, solved a lot of the world's problems, let's get back to business. So like we talked about, you're a West Texas cowboy and you started, you kind of fell into doing the video thing, doing the apparel thing. You had to have not known anything about it. How did you learn? Did you seek out mentor, mentorship? What was that like? Yeah, so... uh my granddad was, uh, my mom's dad was a businessman. Um, and he, uh, he hustled. He, he sold furniture in Amarillo. Uh, his name was Bob Gorey and he had some real estate deals. Um, he appreciated the Western industry, but it was more about, um, you know, he was a businessman Mm -hmm. and he taught me a lot of things about like, you know, for instance, not procrastinating, Um, but really outside of just watching him do business, like there weren't like a lot of like, uh, little like principles. There's some, now don't get me wrong before he died, the 24 hours before this man died, like in my phone, I had called him five times and I was, he was giving me advice on five different business deals that I was trying to do small ones, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. but literally five different things. I had talked to him five times before he died. I talked to him about an hour before he died. Like I called this man for advice all the time. And so I had him for, but it was always, it would be like, what do I do right here? And he was just like, all right, well, first thing you do is just pray about it, you know? And, uh, he didn't like residential real estate so like he liked commercial stuff like Mm -hmm. okay well i'm 25 or whatever it was i'm not gonna go buy you know commercial (laughs) piece property pawpaw you know like i just don't have that kind of money you know and so like there weren't a lot of like just like business sessions he had it was more just like broad fundamentals but but like he didn't understand the internet at all Mm -hmm. so like as a quote-unquote influencer there was nobody in the Western industry mm-hmm. like Fallon Taylor a little bit at the time. And like, she was just kicking off like her and I would bounce ideas off of each other sometimes. But like, we were both each just figuring it out. Like there was nobody creating content. And even my granddad, you know, which later he would kind of change his song and dance, but like, he was still kind of like, Oh, kids got their hand, you know, phones in their hands. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I, that was, I remember I was like, well, I'll give them something to watch. But there were no real business. I read um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. And that's what got me interested in real estate, Robert Kiyosaki. Um, and That's then just in, a very well, that was a very good 
book for like when I read that, that was eye opening. Well, the one thing that that did for me was kind of focused me on making sure that if I had money and I was going to do something with that money was making sure that I was putting it towards something that would make more money. Right. Buying an asset. Right. Asset. Exactly. And that's what that book defines an mm-hmm. asset versus a liability, mm-hmm. a liability, for instance, a vehicle, a vehicle loses money the moment you get it. Mm-hmm. An asset makes money the moment you get it. My interns last night, we were on our way home from a rodeo and they're making fun of me because, uh, I'm going to have to go to their house to watch the playoff games because freaking Hulu costs $70 a month. And so I'm going to my intern's house to watch the games because I am too tight to buy, you know, and they, they literally said the, it's, it's, it's hilarious. The lines that you will draw, yeah, you know, <laughs> but essentially an asset versus a liability. Um, and so I read that book early on. I've got another friend named Jeremy Melanson and his, he's out of, uh, turn, he's out of Huntsville turnkey metal buildings. He builds custom homes and look him up. He's brilliant. He helps people, he, and he helps contractors who are trying to build homes. He'll like the scope of what he does helping people. If you are a builder or you are wanting to build a house, you have to talk to Jeremy Melanson first. Like he's just the most brilliant individual that I know. Very mm-hmm. logical. He's also one of those three humble people that yeah. I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I talked to him a lot. And then Gary V. 2017. About seven years ago, I found Gary V. I consumed him like he was my new dad. Yeah. You know, and um, he gave, he he taught me a lot about content, but also business. And yeah. So like you were talking about working out. Well, like the podcasts I was listening to were Gary V. Mm-hmm. So those were the only places where I had um, teaching. You know, like I just had to get creative. But when it came to making decisions as an influencer, a YouTuber, especially after my granddad died. Like I was sad he died, but also like I didn't tip a waitress without calling that man mm-hmm. and asking his advice. And so um, he died in 19 and that was, you know, kind of when we were, I was just getting started with business. Yeah. And so like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, as far, especially when I go to, you talk about like just where is it okay to have debt? Where is it not? Like, you know, are, you know, cause Kyle, there's Kiyosaki and then there's Dave Ramsey, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, where does, which one apply? And I'm in both camps. I've got a foot in both camps yeah. without getting into the weeds of my P and L statement. Like, um, it just depends on which day you catch me, you know, which camp I'm in. Um, but there's places where I allow risk and there's other places that I don't. And, um, so, I've had to learn, but again, all of it is essentially been driven by fear of going back to, we weren't, I mean, this is America. You know what I'm saying? Like there's people that had it way worse. Mm -hmm. Even in America, there were people that had it way worse, you know, but like, who's to say I would just even go back to that? What if I went further, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, like, and maybe that's bad that like, but I just don't have this freaking island with jet skis. Like, that's not my goal, you know, like if yeah. I were to have a few acres, more acres one day with a few more cows, like that would be cool. But really like, 
Really and, the freedom. I went to, I took all my interns on a field trip to RA Brown Ranch and Donald mm -hmm. Brown was like, Hey man, or he, he went around the horn and asked each one, where do you want to be in five years? He asked all of them. And for some reason, when it got to me, I wasn't ready for him. I was like, Oh, I haven't. Yeah. I guess you would ask me. Of course I'm <laughs> in the circle too, but it was so easy for me to answer. If I'm doing exactly what I'm doing today in five years, then I'm happy. Like I'm mm -hmm. so, I'm, my life is so completely amazing. Like I get to make content. I get to, you know, you're living your dream life. Yeah. My, my warehouse is 0.7 miles away from my house. Like I get to be around rodeo, even when I'm hurt and I'm not in it, I'm still putting in turns on bucking horses. And, um, so I, uh, that, that's what that's, I'm, that's my motivation. Yeah. Like that's, I just, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, I think, I mean, you want to live your dream life and figure out how to do that. So mine, I've been living it for years was, is day working, ranching, my having a little bit of my own operation and getting to rope and, and having the freedom. But I also come to the realization after having a family that I also need to provide and doing it, scraping for money all the time was not necessarily well, the right way. So I'm going about it. I'm going back and I'm going to, well, that's trying another, to figure out how to live that life. That's another thing broke. we can talk about because mm -hmm. people come here. I, I mean, I've got an intern program you know, like that's a lot of my content revolves around the interns and the Netflix show. And people reach out to me like, Dale, how do I get started ranching? How do I get started rodeoing? One mm -hmm. of those two things. That's where how to be a cowboy, the Netflix show. Yeah, that, it, that's where it came from. People want. I got that DM. Still get it twenty times a day. How do I get started ranching? There was a need, and you and, and that's where the show mm -hmm. went. We poured water on the table, and that's where it went. So, anyways, I get asked that still, and they'll come here, and they're like twenty two, no money, um, you know, no inheritance coming, no land attached to them. They're like, all right. I want to get, I want to, you know, like, all right, well, what's your goal and what's your vision, you know? And, and, uh, I want to have a ranch one day, you know, I want to, I want to have cows and I want that. To, and I had one particular intern. He was like, I want to have a ranch one day with cows and a house, nice house. And I'd also like to, uh, be a rodeo cowboy and be a world champ. And, um, I want to do what, you know, I want to have real estate too. And you know, he's just going on and on. He wants got, all the things. That guy's got a lot of work ahead of him. <laughs> you know, he's 23, 24. And I am not going to tell you, you're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you, you can't do that. You know, but what glimpse of what small success I've had and what I realize it takes to, to the work it takes, you know, behind that, just like, okay, that is fine. Like a hundred percent, you can be more successful than me and the next guy and do all the things you're wanting to do. But you're going to have to be the most creative son of a, there is, if you want to accomplish that by ranching. Mm -hmm. Like if you start with not like, I'm not saying it can't be done even in 2024, there's yeah. some creativeness that you can have in this industry and maybe like, you're you're doing all those things mm -hmm. but like if you want to learn how to be a top hand on your way to owning the ranch you know what i'm saying when you come in at 22 30 years old i get messages from people 40 and what it takes to buy land like you can't make the land payment with the cow mm -hmm. so how is this going to work 
I'm not trying to be depressing here. I'm trying to be realistic. It's just a hard. The land hard is freaking go. expensive. Yeah. The 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 cows are expensive, you know. And most people that have those have cows. It's a write off mm-hmm. because you don't make very much money with them. And we were joking because like I've been running cows for years, and I've got a little nest egg from from my cows, and I'm about to make a purchase to wipe it out. It's a trailer. <laughs> I'm going to get a trailer and I'm back to zero. Yeah. Like I'm not, you know, I had a guy working for me and he was just like, all I want to really do is the cows. I was like, well, unfortunately, I can't afford to pay you then because I'm not sure if you realize this warehouse, but that's not what is paying your salary right now yeah. is my cows. They barely, barely pay for themselves. Most I'm just of, trying to say, I'm just trying to be realistic. Yeah. Now, Buster Frierson, I did a podcast with him mm-hmm. as well. You did too. Like he is a picture perfect individual of how you can make it work. But it's very focused and he works his ass off mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of extra time for stuff. Mm-hmm. So like it can be done and there are ways, but like it's kind of like I'm sure the way um, every person that shows up to the Navy says they want to be a SEAL. Yeah. And then it's 1% of 1% that actually do it. All right. Well, that's your Buster Frierson's. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do, if you're going to, accomplish all that simply by cowboying you got a long road to hoe Mm -hmm. you know and that's okay but or you get super creative you know start a youtube channel for instance start a podcast start um a dirt work service yeah start you know invent something there's ways that it can be done but where, where you are you use creativity but if you want to i just told him i was like Dude, if you want to own the ranch, you're probably not going to do it by being the top hand on the ranch. Mm-hmm. If you're starting at 25 and you don't know anything about cowboying, now if you've lived 25 years and you you're already there, well that's a little different. Then you can there's some other but like if you start at 25 like somebody could clip this and call me like a negative Nancy, but like <laughs> look at the whole big picture, you know, and look at these people that own the ranches. They've got a little bit different. Sometimes they're not the top hand on the ranch. And that's not a coincidence. And most of them probably made their money somewhere else. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know? And, or they were, if they didn't, they were born into that ranch. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that doesn't mean nobody can else can accomplish it. This yeah. is America. But you've got to get really creative and you got to be really patient and you got to work your ass off. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, I joke. I made a vi- I was trying to make a video how to get started ranching. Well, I lost a cow, had two blowouts on a tire, something got out, and I looked at the camera, how to get started ranching? <laughs> Don't. You know, and we just, we scrapped the whole thing because I was in a bad, had a bad attitude that yeah. day because everything was going wrong. We made another one later, but like, you know, if, like sometimes there's days that that's how you feel, but mm-hmm. essentially just, you need to be mindful. If people are doing this as a write-off, you know, then like, all right, well, hold on. They're making their money somewhere else. They don't want to give the taxes to the government. So they're spending on this because it's fun. You know, is that the way I need to make the money to do that? Yeah. Now there's other things you can do. Number one, you don't have to own the ranch. You know, you can, you know, be a farrier, work at the sale barn, uh, be a day worker, um, run somebody's cows, 
sell some horses, trade some horses, you know, train, learn to train them yep. and then trade, you know, all those things, all those things I just listed, Buster Frierson can do. And so he's making money year round. He's day working in the spring, dragging calves. He's weaning in the fall. In the summer, he's picking up bulls. Then he's trading horses in and out. You know, mm-hmm. he's grown his brand and uh, he's used the internet. He's leveraged that. And so there's all these ways that you can make it work, but it is going to be some hard work. Yeah. And I, t- I remember when I was graduating college, uh, my grandpa, and this is, let me just finish this thought. Let me put, let me, th- it's going to be some hard work. And you need to keep in mind that if you put that same amount of effort into other exactly. things, you will make way more money <laughs> yeah. and you will not, or, or half that effort into any other industry, you make way more money. Mm-hmm. But going back to my dad and that point we were making, we usually don't look at success through the lens of money. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to be happy in this life. We're not in it for the money. Anyhow, yeah. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Your, your grandpa. Yeah, uh, I was graduating college, and my grandpa asked me, he said, you know, what are you, you going to do now? He owned a machine shop and then had a place, had a few cows, and uh, I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy some cows. I'm going to ranch. Yeah. He said, well, you know, how many cows do you think it's going to take for you to make a living? And I said, you know, 100 cows, you know, I figured – I make $500 a calf, $50,000, i will you know, be doing pretty good. He was like, well, you know, I've got these cows out here, and and he said, they're just a write-off. They don't make any money. I, I spend a lot of money on them. And I was like, you know, he was a hobby farmer or whatever, you know, so I was like, you know, there's ways that you could improve the operation and monetize it a little bit better, but I had to go through that myself, and, and I leased a place, and turn some cows out and all the struggles of fixing the fence in the front and in, in the front end, you know, before I turned them out, you know, hauling stuff around them, getting out all the time, going and fixing water gaps, the feed, all those costs that incur. And then there's, I'm not drawing anything out on the front side, which you can on the back side. And there's different ways of doing it. And, you know, like you said, you can get creative, but it's not, it's not what I thought, you know, I was like, at one point in my life, I thought a hundred cows and I, I would be rich and I would yeah. have it made, you know, and that is not the case at all. So right. as you go through life, you kind of, cows don't equal wealth. Mm-hmm. Like you can, yeah, like you can make money on cows, but like the number of cows you have doesn't necessarily equal wealth. There's mm-hmm. so much to it. And I thought the same thing. And it's funny you use the number hundred because at the most, Leroy and I had like 110, 120 cows. And I, leading up to that, I was like, dude, we're on our way. The other thing that happened was, uh, I think it was 2014 or 15, the first time it spiked the market where you were. Yeah, yeah, well, it like, was really good. We had bought some uh, bred cows for 1,500. Mm-hmm. We sold their calves for 1,500. You know, And I knew we weren't going to do that every year. But essentially, I was like, well, dang, if we can do close, you know, like, and so that was the beginning of us having cows. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I it just, tanks right after that and quits raining. and Yeah, you know, <laughs> there were some ups and downs after that. But essentially, like, yeah, cows don't equal wealth. And I took the long way around, and <clears throat> I lost a lease and ended up, we had to sell 60 of them. And I put that money directly into real estate, you know. Now I'm not saying I hate cows. You know, I've got, I've got some lease places at the time I didn't have any more country. And so, 
you had to. I, I, you know, it's like, I need to do something with this where it makes money. And these mm-hmm. cows are costing me more money than they're making me. Because the time in my life, like, I just didn't have anywhere to put them. You yeah. know, and I was forcing it. And you can't push a rope. And so I put that money towards real estate. And you know what? Like, after nine years, it's worth more. Yeah. Not about to die. You got to <laughs> replace it. And, um, again, I'm not, I'm not telling everybody they need to go into real estate and forget cows, but I'm just trying to take a different approach and maybe come back to more cows later on in life. Yeah. And I've, I've come to that and I would, I would suggest the same thing to people listening that want to get started is, is just run the numbers. If you can only go, if you only have a small place and you're going to go put up $10,000 to buy 10 head of cows, say to turn out on a little place, you know, you're not going to make much off of it. And like you said, they're getting less valuable as they get older. You're going to have to start culling them and it's a whole process. But if you were to take the 10,000, if you only had 10,000 and you took that and like you said, put it in real estate or put it in a business like you have, like you've done, start a business is probably the best thing if you can or real estate or whatever that is, invest it somewhere where you're going to get a big return and put it in an appreciating asset and then then take that money and go back and buy cows. And mm-hmm. it's, I think, I think you're in a lot better spot. The more you move that money, you know, like if you, I, I do life insurance a little bit and I've learned if you could take the money, put it in life insurance, pull it back out, put it in real estate, then pull it back out and put it in cows. And you've moved that money every time and increase the value of it every time. So there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of opportunities out there. Some of which I don't even, I don't, I'm just guessing. (laughs) Um, so you got started running this business. What are some, what are some struggles you would, you could put out to, I hope that there's some business owners, you know, watching and listening. Like what are some struggles as far as leading people, uh, managing people, supply chain, is there any advice you could give? The biggest struggle that I did not know would be a struggle is managing people. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's, I don't want to say struggle, challenge. The biggest challenge. I appreciate it. I enjoy it. Um, but yeah, supply chain stuff is just, you just, in my, in, you just deal with it. Mm-hmm. It happens when it happens. Get it when you can. You know, cash flow is really um, another challenge for a lot of, you know, typically it's not sales, it's the cash flow and making sure that you, you you know, you're allocating all those funds in the right places and that's stuff I don't know a lot about. Um, but, uh, but managing people is the main thing, you know, like that's creating a culture. Culture is the most important thing. Like I've, I've let go of people that were high producers that were making us money but they weren't good for culture. Mm-hmm. And so that, that is the most important thing. Yeah. And, um, and there, there's, there's times I'm sure some of those people would argue I'm not good for culture, but, um, I'm doing my best. So the, 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 the tough thing is communication. You know, mm-hmm. for some reason, I don't, I think it might be just maybe, maybe I am intimidating being someone who's easily intimidated. I wouldn't think of myself as intimidating, but, or maybe it's just because I'm the boss. 
but like it seems like it's like man why didn't they come tell me that yeah why did they let it fester and then six months later quit right well and then a, a good friend of mine dusty burson um one of my two best friends jeremy the other guy i mentioned being the other one jeremy and dusty are my best friends but dusty was like i think maybe it's just because you are the boss and when you go to your boss you either have a problem or you need something mm -hmm. typically and human nature is to not to want to take that to someone. Yeah. You know, and so like people hold in their problems and they can become a bigger one. Yeah. You know, it starts small and then resentment grows and eventually it blows up. And so if you're not addressing and even asking and trying to pull those problems out and deal with them on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, then you're, you're going to have an even bigger problem down the road. And that's one thing I've learned. And I try to beg these guys, like, listen, if there's something I'm unaware of or a problem you have with a coworker or me, like, let's talk about it, please. You know, mm -hmm. like, I'm not saying I'll have the answer, but it'll be better than you holding it in. Have you used, like, some some cowboy wisdom, some something that you've got from, from cowboying? I mean, because just because you're a, a guy leading a drive, you're still leading men. So, I mean, have you got anything from that that you implement into the business? Well, I've heard, uh, I've heard, you know, somebody say once, you know, nice guys don't get the cows gathered, you know, but also like if that's your main mentality, like, eventually what is the culture like on a crew like that mm -hmm. you know and and um now i'm not saying that means it's a popularity contest you get a bunch of you know comedians out there that just joke around and have fun like i mean work ethic is obviously i would argue the most important thing period no matter what but i think culture is whether you're on if a ranch or in a business. Whether you're on a ranch or, like, culture is so important. And if you've been around some of these big ranches, like, there's times and there's places where, it, if you spend time on big ranches, it's just the exact same as a corporation or a high school or a football team. It doesn't matter. Like, if there's a cancer within that organization, it can spread and people can get, you know, start gossiping about each other and get mad at each other it can lead to actual physical altercations like a ranch is no different than anywhere and like culture is the most important thing so if i were to step over and be a wagon boss or manager of a ranch somewhere like that culture would be important to me mm -hmm. um and i think that there's you know a lot of the good bosses value that and how they talk to their employees how they let their employees talk to them how their employees talk to each other you know, how they deal with the wives of the employees because mm -hmm. they all live on the same property, you know. And so, yeah, I think that, I think it's there's a lot of overlap there. And I feel like a really good wagon boss would probably be a really good anything boss. Um, I, I kind of want to stick on that, but let, uh, get to some wrap-up questions. So on the Glenn Beck podcast that you were on, he talked about he keeps – keeps his top five mentors keeps their pictures around what what would be your your top five mentors through life um uh, i mean i've got kind of a circle of 
a counsel, if you will, you know, that I, I seek. And um, most most all of them I've mentioned here on this podcast, you know, I talk to Dusty twice a day. I talk to Jeremy every other day. Um, and those guys I bounce ideas off of. And, you know, we, we help each other with personnel issues and money issues. There's a third person I talk to often, and that's Corey Anderson. He runs the marketing for Total Feeds, one of my sponsors. And uh, just a super interesting individual. And, you know, he's got a, a, a degree in, I think it's psychiatry. He's not a psychiatrist. Like, he didn't do all the the testing for it, but that was like what his degree was working towards. And so he's just got a good natural tendency to help people. And what he says is, is, is essentially what they do. Like a therapist is going to help you realize what you actually think or want, mm-hmm. you know? And, and to be honest, when I call Corey, most of what he actually says is, so what are you thinking? <laughs> or, so what are you going to do? You know? And he'll just ask that again and again until, and sometimes I'm just like, no, I want you to tell me what to think. But, <laughs> so yeah, Jeremy Melanson, Dusty Burson, Corey Anderson, you know, it was my dad and my granddad. Yeah. And so at this point, there's just a whole lot of um, what would they do Yeah. in this instance, you know, and hopefully I had listened enough to where they've instilled those fundamentals in me when it comes to, you know, my dad being like the hard life decisions, you know, like when I met with a lot of what's in the world today. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I respond to that? And, um, you know, there's a lot of others that like I'll call on for, for advice on certain things. You know, like I talk to Cowboy Cerrone a lot, you know, like I've, I've asked Trevor's advice on some things and, um, like it's good to get to visit with like some of the goats, mm-hmm. you know, and my brand has allowed me to have some of those relationships and they've turned into friendships and which, you know, those kind of guys don't mind, you know, you don't, and those kind of, those guys will help anybody. But, um, I don't have like, if, if ideally what I would have is another version of me, like I would have somebody that's better than me to like come alongside me in this organization. Cause under this roof, there's actually two companies Three or four, but essentially for second conversation, there's two. It's Rodeo Time Incorporated, which is the apparel, mm-hmm. and then Rodeo Time Media. Mm-hmm. And the apparel is the business that, you know, drives everything financially, but the media is what drives the finances of, you know, they work the side marketing by side. side yeah. yeah, and I enjoy most the media side of things. Mm-hmm. The salesman in me loves doing the 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 sales of rodeo time inc but i just don't know enough over there i don't know what cac and ltv are i don't know like a lot of those that terminology and um like i don't know what my customer acquisition costs are and um so yeah I'm, i'm that'll be my main thing is just my ignorance and hopefully one day i can get somebody to come in alongside me and help me but i'm sure you will especially with your connections and then the, the problem is have. i live out in the middle of nowhere yeah <laughs> um so you're you're traveling a lot rodeoing you have your whole life and you and you still are and, and got appearances and all that type of stuff what are you listening to in the truck is it podcast music audibles um all the above yeah i've got you know like um i've gotten to 
I listened to Joe Rogan mm-hmm. um, and some of those guys, um, Cam Haynes. Um, you know, I, I I listened to a lot of music, you know, Texas country, um, but then also some audio books. Like I really like not only those books on humility, like a really, you know, some of the deep tracks there, like C.S. Lewis books, but also um, military books, like stuff like, I've probably listened in the last two years. I've probably read, actually cracked a book open and read or listened to an audio book of like 15 or 16 different books on the war mm-hmm. that's gone on, whether it's Navy SEALs or Delta or whatever it is. Like I, I'm, I'm just intrigued with, as a rodeo cowboy, we're a pretty patriotic bunch. So. What would your, your dream vacation be? And I asked Chick this, and he tied it back to rodeo. So you may want to do the same, um, but what, whatever that is, if it's laying on a beach, if it's going to some certain rodeos, if it's going on a cruise. I, I, I mean, I love rodeos. Like I was at one last night, like going into, you know, freshly plowed arena, like that smell, there's something to it that is just paradise to me. You know, it takes me back to like my my roots. Like I think about my old man and, um, that fight on a bronc, like, yeah, that's, that's life. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, I don't know, since I was a kid, I've always, there's with some of the struggles at home, like when we were on the road, like in a hotel, that was a, a, just a blissful escape from everything. And that for some reason, like being in a hotel really allows me to just, so like I, 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 I love going into a hotel room. And also, like I said, I don't have access to live sports because I'm cheap. And so, like, I get to watch basketball and football games. And so, like. So, just going to a big town and going to the hotel is kind of like a, a It treat. doesn't bother me. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not bad. But um, I do love a beach. Like, I've, I've been to, I've been blessed over the last several years to get to go to some. And I'm 100 miles an hour. I'm up at 430 here. I'm, I'm working out. I'm doing all those things. I've got a laundry list, but like being on a beach for four days and just, you know, sleep in and go and sit and just listen to waves mm-hmm. is now there's a time limit. You know, once you get to seven days, that's too long. Yeah. You know, about four days is plenty. Yeah. But, I, I feel that way about being on the beach or going to the snow about seven days is pushing it. Maybe, maybe three, four five, something like that. To be honest, that's my, that's my retirement. Like that's my, that's my, goal is one day I go to a beach once or twice a summer and go skiing once or twice a winter, but then work the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. That, that was my next question. What would retirement look like? It would for look you? like that. Like I still work cows, hopefully this, you know, something like basically living it, real estate, what you're doing right now. But if I were doing exactly what I'm doing right mm-hmm. now for the next 20, 30, 40 years, like that's fine with me, but I might take, two weeks in the summer, a week here, a week at the end of summer, two weeks in the winter. Yeah. And like that, to, I don't know, as of right now, that's my, that, that would be retirement for me. So you've uh, mentioned real estate a few times and I was going to ask that question also about if there was anything else besides apparel that you are looking to get into in the future or that you already are in, if you're investing the money that you're making somewhere. I'm constantly looking for it. Mm-hmm. Constantly. I got a, but like I'm looking for another product. Um, 
like I love apparel and I love that game, but like I just I feel like I'd like something consumable. Mm-hmm. Being on carnivore, I can I have this seasoning that my buddy makes mm-hmm. that um, three times a day I use this seasoning. I put it on that steak at lunch I was talking about, mm-hmm. and it is it's the best tasting seasoning I've ever tasted. Like it's a ten. The next best seasoning I can think of would be like a six and a half. Yeah, I put it on everything. So me and him were going to partner. Um, it's his family recipe. He was super passionate about it, and he was super hungry to do things. But the way it was looking, like I was going to do, distri- I was going to do all of these things, mm-hmm. and like it was going to work out. And he was excited, but I was like, "Dude, you need to do this. You need to do this for you." And go down this entrepreneurial space. He was a day work cowboy. Yeah. I was like, I'll help you along the way and then I'll promote it for free. You just get it off the ground. And it he and I were so close that like I didn't step out of it because I thought it wasn't gonna be successful. I stepped out of it because I thought it was gonna be successful and it needs to be his. Yeah. I'll help him get there. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was gonna be that for a little bit, but I just I think he's gonna and eventually, whoever listens to this, you guys will see. I'll I'll start promoting it because it's bad to the bone, mm-hmm. and I want my buddy to win, and he will win. And technically, I will have missed out, but like my buddy won. Yeah. So like I didn't, you know, it's great. Yeah, that's cool. So, but I, I maybe something like that in the future. So I've got some, some other products. I got a new sponsor coming on that's pretty interesting, and there may be some sort of relationship there that's big for both of us. But, um. What about your, like your real estate? You just, the real estate I love, like that would be hopefully what. Just, just buy, buy and hold single family homes. Is that kind of yeah, what you're doing I, now? I like the idea of multifamily also, but like for a town like Graham, mm-hmm. like dude, the single family stuff is just like, it's a badass town. It's a badass area. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to live there. And like, is that the main market you're in? There's a couple others, but like Graham is like just a, to me, it's like, it's Texas. It's a nice town. It's a clean town. Mm -hmm. And then being able to provide affordable housing for somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, they get a win. And then we're probably too low in rent on a lot of things, but Lisa runs it. And like, she's like, um, she's like, uh, she's been there. You know, she's been a renter. Yeah. So like she's in charge of it. I let her send it, set it, but like she's going to make it fair for everybody. Yeah. Win, win, win. Yeah. 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 Um, but what about if there was, if there's one piece of content that could, of yours that could live forever, a Facebook post, a YouTube video, a podcast, and it could be something that you've already done or something that you have on your mind that you want to get out there eventually. What do you think that would be? What what piece of content? The Dale would it Brisby be? sermon. Not because like I want people to hear me talk about that, but because I think that that I've realized just I don't think we as Christians understand like how important humility is as a Christian. Like Andrew Murray said, you can have no more faith than you have humility. Meaning like pride will be what keeps people out of heaven. And because so long as you're looking down on everybody, you can't look up. Mm-hmm. Like it's so important. Humility is so important that like Andrew Murray was saying, accept with gratitude anything that reminds you of or brings you to humility. So like a lot of people like say like, oh yeah, you need to be 
to be successful, you got to be excited about losing. You got to fall in love with losing. Well, they say that so that you can learn how to win. Mm-hmm. But Andrew Murray is saying, like, no, you need to fall in love with losing because it's going to make you humble because that's how you grow closer to Christ. That's how important it is. Not so you can then win. Well, you can win, but like win in the fact of like going to heaven. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the long story short, he who humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I just, I think that's way more important. And I think that as cowboys, rodeo cowboys, in any industry, all of the above, as humans, Americans, like there's just so much pride. Mm-hmm. We all have so much pride, myself included. And, um, but anyhow, on a lighter note, second to that, I've, we've got a movie script mm-hmm. and I would like, it'd be cool to one day do a movie. Yeah, that'd be cool. So, um, I got a guy that works for me, Cole Snyder. He's a brilliant writer. He, like he could go on to be a, a Taylor Sheridan one day. And he, uh, he and another buddy, Logan West helped me finish a movie script. I started it and Logan and Cole helped me finish it, but we wrote a movie and that, that would be cool to do. So, yeah, yeah. but anyway, it's a cool question. well y'all stay tuned and we're gonna wrap it up on that what can what can the listeners do to help you out go follow you buy some rodeo man if they've listened this long i mean that (laughs) means they're not so irritated by my voice that yeah no i just appreciate anybody that watches anything yeah Yeah. if they want to get apparel at rodeotime.com that's great but i mean i just yeah i uh just watching the videos is yeah. great with me. Hopefully, I provide value and they keep watching. Cool. Well, if y'all are listening to this on the Apple or Spotify or, or Google, whatever, uh, and you want to watch it, see this cool studio at Dell's, um, check it out on YouTube, The Wealthy Cowboy Show. Uh, follow me, The Real Crockett Carruthers, um, hashtag The Wealthy Cowboy, hashtag The Wealthy Cowboy Show. And if you would, since we're getting started, please share it out. Um, I don't want to ask y'all to do too much, so do one of three things. You can rate, review, or share. Um, If you liked it, if you didn't like it, share it out anyway. Somebody else may like it. And with that, that's a wrap. We'll see y'all next time. Pow, pow.